You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The NFL's legal tampering period is about to begin. So we're going to look at what exactly the Bears' options are given their limited salary cap space. Welcome into the Locked On Bears podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I cover the Chicago Bears for Bears Wire. I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. Today, I'm going to go through a full mock off season for the Chicago Bears, looking at some moves they could make to clear up some salary cap space, going through the free agent options to fill some needs, and then we wrap it up with a full mock draft Monday, seven-round mock draft to put this whole offseason together and get a sense of what the Bears can do and what might be a little bit more out of reach. The NFL Players Association voted to approve a new collective bargaining agreement with the NFL, which should lock things in for another 10 years and give us some much-needed stability moving forward. And with that, the league then turned around and announced the salary cap number for 2020 will be $198.2 million, which is an increase of about $10 million from last season, but that's actually lower than most salary cap experts were projecting. I think in terms of a percentage of the cap, it was a little bit of a lower percentage than recent years. And along with that, as part of the new collective bargaining agreement, all veteran minimum contracts across the NFL are all going to increase. It's a varying amount depending on how long you've been in the NFL, but it's going to cost teams an additional two or three or four million dollars, depending on their exact situation with the number of players on minimum salaries that they already have under contract. And of course, all other minimum salaries moving forward will be at these higher rates. And so it leaves the Chicago Bears in, you know, you know, of course, the higher salary cap space creates more room for the Bears, but then the higher minimums also takes away some of that room. And ultimately, it's not a massive difference in terms of being able to make a big splash free agent signing. Like I look at our friends at overthecap.com. Right now, they list the Chicago Bears with $8.6 million of salary cap space. But for some reason, they still have Kyle Long under contract. I don't know that perhaps his retirement doesn't officially take place until the new league year starts and comes off the book then, but that would free up an additional $8 million. So as of now, that would be $16.62 million of salary cap space. And that includes the tender that the Bears have just offered to Roy Robertson Harris, which is around a $3 million second round tender as a restricted free agent. So that is taken into consideration in this $16 million number. But what's not taken into consideration there is Danny Trevathan's new three-year $21.5 million contract, because we don't know the exact breakdown of what he's going to cost in year one versus year two versus year three and how that affects the Bears' salary cap right now. But even if we say it's a conservative, you know, let's say year one is like six million and then year two is seven and then year three gets up around eight, you know, something easy like that. If, if you're saying he's costing six million in the first year, which it could be more but could be less, that would take you down to about $10 million. If we went from 16 million, throw Trevathan in there. About $10 million of cap space with that deal under contract is not a lot of salary cap space. When you consider 
that you're going to want to need to keep at least five or six million dollars to sign all of your rookies, and you're also going to want to have some money left over to be able to you know have some emergency money during the season if you need to sign somebody or make a trade. So all of a sudden, if you're the Bears, you you really don't have much cap space at all, and you still need to maybe add at right guard. You need to assign a strong safety to play with Eddie Jackson. You're still looking to add at quarterback, and there's other needs on this team that need to be filled, and there is not a lot of salary cap space to do so, which I think is why we see the Leonard Floyd fifth-year option right in the middle of this discussion because he's costing $13.22 million if the Bears don't release him before Wednesday. They have Monday and Tuesday to decide, even while they negotiate other contracts. But I can imagine where if you're really hurting on salary cap space at other positions, and you have these needs, could you release Leonard Floyd, get a replacement for less than $13 million, and then still be able to use some of that leftover cap space elsewhere? They can also sign Allen Robinson to a contract extension, but he's only going to cost $15 million this season. And on a new contract, he's going to want to be paid more overall from a year to year. So it's not like you can drop his year one cost on a new deal to one or $2 million and save another 12. I mean, you're looking more like, you know, instead of paying him $15 million this year, maybe you could lower that to 12 or even 10 and then backload the deal down the line. But even so you're creating maybe a maximum of additional $5 million. So it feels to me like at this point, the salary cap crunch puts Leonard Floyd in a very tough position for the Bears to keep him at that salary unless they worked out an extension with him to bring that number down. I would expect an extension for Allen Robinson somewhere along the way to bring those numbers down. But regardless, the Bears are not going to have a lot of money to go out and sign big name splash free agents. They can create enough money to fill their needs, but they're going to have to be a little bit more on the stingy side this year, go with some higher value type guys that won't necessarily get you excited, but the idea is that they can still get the job done at a more affordable price. It's with those constraints that I want to go through a mock offseason here and look at some Bears options that we can all squeeze in that salary cap space and still come away with a competitive team in 2020. We'll go through the big free agent decisions next on Locked On Bears. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Bears is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Bears fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Chicago fans and a predominantly male audience that's well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. So text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve locked-on advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. So in terms of the ground rules for this mock offseason, I wanted to, of course, take control as the general manager making all the decisions, but I also want to keep it realistic in the sense of like following generally the same idea the Bears could realistically follow this offseason. So the Bears are not going to 
release or trade Mitchell Trubisky out of the blue and pay $30 million to Tom Brady or whatever. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of following in the general idea of what we're looking at potentially happening moving forward, but a little bit more of what I'm projecting. And, of course, I don't know the actual contract values that some of these players may be available for. So I may be a little low on some. I might be a little high on others. It's it's always hard to get a sense, especially with some of these lower-level free agents, of where their market value is going to be. But I think those are the type of free agents that the Bears are going to be having to deal with more specifically. So when I look at this offseason, I, as general manager here, am releasing Leonard Floyd before his fifth-year option, saving that $13.2 million. And I am also agreeing to a contract extension with Allen Robinson, four years, $66 million, with $40 million guaranteed. Again, could Robinson potentially get more than that? Yeah. Could he get more guaranteed than that? Yeah. But I think the important thing here is I would want to bring the year one cost down, I think $12 million is a realistic number for him to come down on for year one and then bump those up a few more down the line. So I'd save $3 million this year with the Robinson extension and an additional 13.2 from releasing Leonard Floyd. And that leaves me with $26.6 million of salary cap space that I can work with, knowing that I need some leftover money in there to pay for draft picks and everything like that. But as I look over the Bears' own free agents, I would re-sign Kevin Pierre-Lewis, I have a feeling, given the other starting options available at inside linebacker, he's not going to command a huge contract. He's going to just be a a decently paid backup. And so if I can land Kevin Pierre-Lewis on like a a two-year, $2 million contract, you know, give him a million dollars a year, I think that's the sort of thing you could sell him on returning to Chicago and the system that he played so well in last year, and also on the idea that, hey, Danny Trevathan does have an injury history, and so... Over these two years of your contract, you may very well have a a lot of opportunity to see the field, or at the very least, you're a great insurance policy for the Bears if they need you to see the field. And if he's not getting really true starting opportunities anywhere else, why not come back and take that deal with Chicago? Same thing for Deion Bush. Thinking about two years, $2 million. Most backup safeties in the NFL, once they sort of get to this stage, they're making around a million dollars a year. Bush doesn't really have much starting experience. I know he sort of wants to get into that spot. And as we go through this offseason, I think you can sell Deion Bush on saying, hey, we're not going to be able to sign a big name safety that's going to lock down the starting job. So listen, Dion, you come back on this contract, you'll have every opportunity to start. Well, we're going to bring in some competition for you. We'll be straightforward with you about that. But it's going to be best man win, whether we draft somebody early or late or who else we sign you have the opportunity to start. So come back to Chicago, another you know two years, $2 million. You can throw some guaranteed money his way, but I think those two are sort of the key guys that are at least above the veteran minimum that I would look to bring back as the Bears' own free agents. And then looking ahead to free agency and outside players, l- releasing Leonard Floyd obviously creates a really big gap at the edge rusher position. And still with only you know taking another $2 million away from the two guys I just re-signed, $24 million in cap space, I can't go out and dump a ton of money really at any of the Bears' big positions of need, especially if you're going to have to pay a little bit more for a quarterback, and that's going to take a chunk out of there. So I, I think at edge rusher, I have to go cost-effective. And there's a veteran free agent we talked about earlier on the podcast, Jabal Sheard from the Indianapolis Colts. He's on the wrong side of 30, but he's been a long-time, consistent starter, very good against the run, has good enough pass rusher, not elite, 
but can get some pressure on the quarterback consistently. Not going to be a double-digit sack guy, but neither was Leonard Floyd. And the key here is that I think you can get Jabal Sheard on a very affordable contract. He was making $8 million a year on his last deal, but I don't think he's going to get anywhere near that in this free agent market. So I would project like two years, $10 million total for Jabal Sheard. You guarantee $5 million of it. And I think if you pay him four in the first year and six in the second year, he's only costing me $4 million this first season. He's got some more financial backing coming in the second year if he can continue to produce at a high level. He's a veteran, he'll be consistent, and he'll be a good fit. And you can still potentially add more at edge rusher in the draft or later in free agency. And Sheard can hold that down and be a bridge there and and bring some consistency along with that familiarity in Chuck Pagano's system from their time with the Indianapolis Colts. And that's really my theme for this mock offseason is that I think as I'm trying to find guys that are affordable, the Bears don't necessarily have a ton of information about all the players out there, but they do know and have familiarity with the guys that used to play with Chuck Pagano. So I'd go out and sign safety Clayton Gathers from the Colts. Again, played, I think, four seasons with Chuck Pagano in Indianapolis. He is not a bona fide day one, walks in the door, take over your starting strong safety job, but he has starting experience in the NFL, starting experience in this defense, and he can be that veteran competition to compete with Deion Bush. I think it might take a little bit more to get him. I, I project him about a one-year $3 million contract, but you don't have to put a lot of guarantees behind that. So if he doesn't start or even if he's not good enough to make your roster, you can cut him and save that money. But for now, you got to earmark $3 million for him. And then at the cornerback spot, a little bit more competition. Can't afford a big-name starter to replace Prince of Mukamara. But how about Rashawn Melvin from the Detroit Lions? He wasn't spectacular this past season, but another guy who has started in the Chuck Pagano defense in Indianapolis has always been pretty good, sometimes a little rough around the edges, but never great. But again, he competes with Kevin Tolliver, with Trey Roberson, and just gives you another veteran there that even if he's not your starter, he can be a backup that you can feel pretty comfortable with. He can play some special teams, and he's not going to cost you an arm or leg. Maybe one year, two and a half million dollars, a slight pay raise from what he got last year in Detroit. I think those are all reasonable, cheap options that fill needs, give you some competition, but don't necessarily make you feel great about it. But at least given the other young guys you have at those positions, here's some outside veterans with familiarity in the system that'll help. Now you might notice haven't signed a quarterback yet. And quarterback's interesting because the the cost is going to be huge because of all those free agents I signed, it was 1 million for KPL in year one, 1 million for Deion Bush, 4 million for Jabal Sheard, three for Githers and 2.5 for Rashawn Melvin. That's costing quite a bit of your existing salary cap space. Some very quick math tells me 11.5 of the 26.6 that I started with. So that leaves me with about $15 million left in, in, but I also have to save another five or six for my rookie. So that's not a lot else that I have a lot of room to work with from a, a cap space standpoint. That's not enough room to trade for Andy Dalton's 17.5 or $17.7 million salary. So what, what I would do is wait and see if the, if the Cincinnati Bengals will release Andy Dalton, which they are expected to do, you're, you're risking maybe a team trading for him and that isn't the Bears. Or if I could get the Bengals to trade for him trade him to Chicago and take $10 million of his salary for me, then I would do it. But I can't afford to pay Andy Dalton the full $17.7 million. So if he becomes a free agent, I could see an offer very similar to what Teddy Bridgewater got last year. It was like one year, $7 million for Teddy Bridgewater. I do seven and a half 
for Andy Dalton to be one of the NFL's highest paid backups, but it's a one-year deal, an opportunity to compete with Mitchell Trubisky and maybe take over the job. If you play well, then you're in a free agency again next offseason and you can cash in like Ryan Tannehill, but it's a good situation for him and a good competition. Now, if, if Dalton won't be released by the Bengals or another team would trade for him or whatever, I would probably sign Case Keenum for another, you know, even less than what I would pay for Dalton, you know, $5 million for Case Keenum, something like that. Mariota may be in a similar boat, but at this point, I think best case scenario at the quarterback spot, one year, $7.5 million for a released Andy Dalton. And that's kind of all of the exciting parts of free agent. I think, you know, I would add some guys on restricted free agent tenders and then some other veteran minimum deals. So, Restricted free agents, DeAndre Houston Carson, Rashad Coward, Isaiah Irving, J.P. Holtz. Bring them back at their low tender, absolutely. Veteran minimum deals. I'd bring back Ted Larson on a minimum if he'd take it, Cornelius Lucas, Patrick Scales, Brent Urban, and then a couple of outside guys I wouldn't mind throwing a veteran minimum contract at. A couple of guys we've talked about before. Guard slash center Ryan Groy. Played for the Chargers last year, more of a younger backup. He originally came into the NFL as an undrafted free agent with the Bears in 2014, but he spent a couple seasons in Buffalo with current Bears offensive line coach Juan Castillo. So that familiar familiarity there, bring Groy in with Ted Larson, and there's your competition at right guard. Coward, Larson, Groy, Bars. You feel like out of that group, somebody should be able to start pretty well there. Didn't address any tight ends up to this point. So if Nick O'Leary would come in on a veteran minimum deal, again, some familiarity with Castillo from Buffalo, so they kind of know what he's like as a person, as a player. More of a blocking tight end, but at least more experienced depth that I can trust a little more than Ben Broniker, Adam Shaheen, etc. And then at the edge rusher spot, if Noah Spence from the New Orleans Saints would come on a veteran minimum deal. He was originally a second-round pick by the Buccaneers a few years ago, got cut by Tampa Bay, signed with the Saints this last offseason. Not a guy that might... He might not make your 53-man roster, but there's maybe some untapped potential there. And if he's playing behind Khalil Mack and Jabal Sheard, he can compete with Isaiah Irving and, and James Vauders and the other young pass rushers on this team and at least give you another high-potential guy that's extremely low-risk at that price. So it really is a bare-bones free agency. I mean, that's still, as far as outside guys go, four of the higher price and then a few veteran minimum guys, that I think seven names in total that I was bringing in from the outside. So you're still getting some turnover. You just don't have enough space to pay big money at any of those positions. And it leaves you, I guess, a little bit concerned. It's a competition at guard. It's a competition at safety. It's a competition at cornerback. And... You know, your edge rusher, you could maybe feel a little bit better about, but at least it fills enough of the needs that I can go into the NFL draft and take best player available and not feel like I have to draft a certain position early and make sure that I'm filling that need in the draft. I can just take best player available and and have a little bit more flexibility to get the best guys in that draft. We'll go through that full seven-round mock draft from our friends at the Draft Network next on Locked On Bears. For this mock draft Monday, I was debating whether or not to just go with Ben Solak's mock draft 6.0 that officially dropped this morning on the draft network. It was only a three-round mock draft, but at least he picked the two Bears second-round picks. Or do I use the, the draft network mock draft machine and go through all seven rounds? And so I compromised a little bit by following at least the first pick that Solak did in his mock for my pick in the mock draft machine. It just, based on where I was at the time going through the machine, that seemed to be a solid choice. And it just so happened to line up well enough 
with Solak. So with all those free agents signed, I get to the 43rd overall pick, and as Solak did, I took Southern Illinois safety Jeremy Chin. And I know what you're thinking, another small school prospect in the top 50 second-round pick by Ryan Pace. Yes, but Chin, I think, is a really good fit next to Eddie Jackson, a very versatile safety. He can play the slot, more of an underneath strong safety box type guy. He can cover tight ends. He can step up against the running game. And he's he's just that playmaker underneath. He's not quite like a, a honey badger level playmaker, but he flies around. He can go wherever you need to. And I think he's got a little bit more juice than like an Adrian Amos did. But more importantly, he lets Eddie Jackson go back to playing more true free safety, roam around deep a little bit. And not that Chin is guaranteed to win the starting job week one. I mean, right, that's that's why you have Deion Bush back. That's why you sign Clayton Gathers, because then there's a competition there. And if, if Chin's not ready to jump from Southern Illinois to week one NFL starter, you've got other options. And maybe Chin takes over halfway through the year or next season. But, you know, at the very least, you know, with a second-round pick, there's going to be some risk there. There's not a, a guaranteed week one starter, but he has all the potential to do so and could very well be that starter. But at least free agency gave me the flexibility that I could take a safety here. I could have taken an, a guard here. I could have taken a cornerback here. I could have taken almost any position I wanted because I have flexibility. And Chin, I think, is the ultimate flexible player that can help the Bears out in more than one spot. I still kind of felt like edge rusher was my biggest need, and I, I thought about taking one there at 43, but I, I waited until 50 because in this mock draft, I was still able to land Curtis Weaver from Boise State, just an incredibly productive pass rusher. I know it's not a Power 5 school, but he was just able to dominate his competition, and it's interesting because like he's not the most elite athlete at the edge rusher spot. He's not like a, a big, bendy speed guy but he knows how to win he has great hand use and he's he has a, some go-to pass rush moves that he can do consistently he can always stand to expand that repertoire a little bit here and there but he just finds ways to get to the quarterback and I think what I like about Weaver is not only has he been so productive but you also see easy fixes in his game where you know he can get better you know he, he pass rushes a little bit too high at times and you can tell that if he just got a little bit better leverage it would make his job so much easier and I think he's a guy that if you can just work on a few different nicks here and there get him some NFL coaching some NFL strength he's, he's never going to be the speed guy off the edge but I think he compares fairly favorably to a young Jabal Sheard but I think you know being able to pair them in Chicago and, and mentor that and not have him have to step on the field and be an every down pass rusher in year one but groom him to take over for Sheard even as early as 2021 I, I like being able to grab a guy like Curtis Weaver with that 50th overall pick. From there, of course, the Bears don't pick again until their compensatory spot in the fourth round. And in the fourth round, you're not going to find anybody that's going to compete for a day one starting job necessarily. We're sort of starting to get more and more into the take a flyer on a guy territory. So that's why at 140, I couldn't pass up taking Washington State quarterback Anthony Gordon. He's a guy that I think is flying under the radar a bit. I know my friends at Pro Football Focus are pretty high on him just because of all of the upside. He's made some really nice throws through his short career at Washington State. There's not a, a lot of track record behind him, and that's why there's some concern about him because he's had a few games in there where the decision-making really goes bad. But he also has some games where he plays at a very high level that looks like this is a NFL quarterback. And so I wonder if 
you know, how sustainable some of that is. And I, I think we get a little bit too caught up in some of the bads and, and not enough credit for some of the goods that he was able to do. And yes, it's a Washington State system, but that system passes so much that we really get to see him throw all over the field and hit some downfield throws with great accuracy, anticipation. He reads defenses very well. He seems to understand coverages. And sometimes he just tries a little bit too hard and, and goes hero ball. But I think for a fourth, a late fourth round pick, Anthony Gordon is that guy. If you go Trubisky, Dalton, and Gordon, you do one year of Dalton, and if it works, great. He may price himself out, and then you have another quarterback waiting, or at least grooming to compete the following season. Or if Dalton doesn't work out, again, Gordon is that longer-term option just to get another young developmental guy in the building. So if both Trubisky and Dalton were to leave next offseason, you at least have something, even if he's not ready to be the starter right away. There's just some potential there that maybe Matt Nagy and company can unlock. It's not really uh, the biggest need in that spot, but I think free agency left me with the flexibility to take a quarterback in that fourth round and not feel like I'm missing on something else and, oh, I really should have taken this or this or this. I think there's some flexibility there to add a quarterback. Because then with the later round picks, you know, in the first, you know, in the fifth round, cornerback Lamar Jackson from Nebraska, not the quarterback of the Ravens, a 6'3 cornerback from Nebraska, super long physical guy. There's some question about how well that physicality will translate to the NFL when he's going up against guys that can break press, unlike the receivers he was going up against at Nebraska. But he's a fifth round guy for a reason. He can compete with Tolliver and Trey Roberson and Rashawn Melvin, but maybe just be a special teams guy early on and at least get another long, young body in there. You know, Duke Shelley kind of belongs more in the slot, so you sort of have your young guy going there, and this is just another opportunity on the outside to have somebody to be waiting in the wings and develop for whatever's going to happen in the future of your cornerback position. Then the two six-round picks, LSU tight end Stephen Sullivan, a guy that really impressed me at the Senior Bowl. He wasn't a starter at LSU so there's not a lot of, like, big game tape to go through. I mean, he gets on the field, but he's more of that number two. He doesn't have a ton of snaps, a ton of catches, a ton of production under his belt. But he's quick, and he moves really well at the position. You're taking a flyer on a guy in the sixth round, and given you know, the Bears have some at tight end between Burton and Demetrius Harris, and then maybe bringing in Nick O'Leary on a vet minimum deal, you know, there's there's some bodies there, and, and Sullivan adding to the mix as a high upside guy that I don't think we've seen the best of yet. And the other six-round pick, Bravion Roy, the nose tackle from Baylor, another guy that's incredibly productive. He's got some real short arms and sometimes doesn't play with great leverage, but still able to really penetrate and disrupt in the running game and even get some pass rush going. I mean, he's got like a spin move. He's got a, a surprising variety of pass rush moves for a nose tackle. And in the sixth round, some interior defensive line depth with some upside. Absolutely, I will take it. Two seventh round picks. Offensive tackle Colton McKivitz from West Virginia. Moves really well. Has trouble anchoring against bull rushers in particular. Think Hronis Grassu, but an offensive tackle. We're talking the seventh round. Maybe you can get him in the Bears weight room and he can add some of that functional strength because he really does flow well. Speed rushers, he can handle them. But a guy gets under his pads, it's game over for Colton McKivitz. So, you know, start feeding him those shakes and send him to Chipotle with Adam Shaheen, and maybe just maybe you can get something out of it. And if not, it's a seventh-round pick. And then wide receiver Austin Mack from Ohio State. A guy, not that he gets Terry McLaurin comparisons, but you talk about sort of the, the path there from Ohio State where he, you know, he was like started 19 games and had some production, and then I believe he had an injury at some point, and he's, he's not really a, an amazing route runner yet, but he runs well. 
He's a guy that, you know, crossing routes and deep verticals, he, he runs a lot of straight lines at Ohio State. And we're talking a seventh-round pick. Bring in uh, another receiver in here. Maybe he makes the roster, maybe not, but there's some speed there. There's just, you know, he's he's an outside guy that I think, you know, doesn't play with any fear. He can take a hit. He can be physical. And sure, take a flyer at the end of the seventh round, add another weapon. Maybe it's something, maybe it's not, but you have that flexibility with that pick. And that kind of wraps up the whole mock offseason. You got a very different pass rushing group with Floyd out and bring in Sheard, bring in uh, Noah Spence, draft a guy like Weaver. You know, you've got a very different safety competition, a lot of different names at the cornerback spot. I think right guard is where I feel the worst, but there had to be a position somewhere that was going to be slacking because there's just not enough money right now to go around. So is everything exactly as good as I'd like it to be? Probably not, but at least I feel like the competitions at every position should leave me with a starter or at least some different options if the guy that wins the starting job doesn't pan out. But I really, you know, going through this exercise, I really don't envy Ryan Pace because the the salary cap space is tight. You can create some more room. There's some room for flexibility, but at some point they can only do so much of that. And as much as I try and say the salary cap isn't that big of a deal, it's a bigger deal this offseason for Ryan Pace than it has been in most years because they keep pushing things off to the future as they create more immediate salary cap space. And eventually you have to start paying for them. And we're seeing the Bears start to have to pay for it now. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky to fill those needs but still add enough talent to feel like you're you're staying competitive at every spot. So that's the type of offseason I think we can look forward to without more drastic changes. And even that one included a pretty drastic change with Leonard Floyd. But no matter what Ryan Pace starts doing, you can be sure we'll be breaking it all down right here on Locked on Bears. So make sure you subscribe to keep up with all of our daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. I imagine by Tuesday, we'll at least hear about some early types of tampering the Bears might be doing in terms of negotiations with other free agents before the new league year starts. Maybe we'll get an Allen Robinson extension. Maybe we'll get stronger trade rumors. Either way, we'll be keeping up with all of it and we'll have it all for you each morning, five days a week. Your Bears talk. If you're stuck inside because of all of the coronavirus, I hope this podcast can help be a little bit of an escape for you. I hope we can all sort of bunker down and do our social isolation and social distancing together but at least we'll get a little bit of that togetherness on this podcast where we can't spread coronavirus through your headphones and that's that's the beauty of what we're doing here and even if you're you know even if you're feeling a little stuck inside the house one thing you can do even with everything else going on you can always bear down